Well, welcome everyone to episode one of the REST podcast, where we are really seeking to help each and every one of you reconcile confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to help heal and find significance in your life. And today's quote is, above all else, guard your heart with all vigilance. From it flows all the issues of life. So with that, Virginia, did you want to introduce us to today's topic? I would love to. Speaking about the heart is perhaps one of my favorite topics because it's that central gravitational field from which everything flows. And we'll break that down a little bit more as we go along. But today I wanted to talk about why it is central to all things and how our thoughts and the narratives that we've inherited from our ancestors and from those who have come before us and the ideas that we get about ourselves and everything about us comes from our primary spheres of influence. But how the compounding effect of those two things, how they determine the quality of the life of our heart and how we experience relationships and the world around us. Also, I was hoping that we could begin to discuss how reconciling the conversation among our constituents, our spirit, our soul, our body, is vitally important in understanding the life of our heart because it's the heart that is central to that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to delve into this today. Yes, and I know you always want to share a little bit of a personal background, a little story. Well, I think sometimes it gives us the capacity to take things that can be very complex and make them relevant. So as I was preparing to discuss or to talk about the life of the heart and what that looks like, I was reminded that after 9-11, many years ago now, I was commissioned to work on a project for National Day of Prayer um, pertaining to, ironically enough, the expression of liberty and the preservation of freedom. And we decided to take our older girls on that trip. We had a a little guy, and he was too young to bring with us, so he stayed with my sister. And I missed him terribly. So a few days before the event, I just had to hear his voice. And I called him, and upon hearing my voice, he said, Mommy, my eyes are leaking, my heart is cracking, and my stomach is punching my throat. And those words often move me to tears because I hear, I hear echoes of that repeated from my patients at the clinic and also some of the clients that I work with in my private practice. And I think One of the things that moves me so deeply about those words that Caleb spoke is how a child has the capacity to express the complexities of the heart and how it interacts Mm -hmm. 
with our spirit and our body and can put something so complex into words. When we become older, it becomes far more difficult. So that story is almost a plumb line for me when mm-hmm. I begin to lose myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's such a In beautiful, the, innocent example of that freedom, of that rest yes, that you talk about. It is. Yeah. And as he was able to speak that, I have to be honest with you, it was riveting listening to a three-and-a-half-year-old, almost a four-year-old, communicate, again, the complexities of what is so difficult for us to often access in our adulthood. Mm -hmm. And once those words were spoken, he was able to enjoy a little conversation with me, and it changed me forever and i thought how powerful it is when we can bring language to bear upon time and be able to communicate these things so that we see exactly where another human being stands in that given moment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know it's also been interesting how those words have served me for over 20 years almost 20 years (laughs) they've served me that's amazing they just they were meant to be said Mm -hmm. and they it seems like have spilled over into your practice well it's one little human one little soul was able to access and communicate very complex things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i realize sometimes we make things harder than they need to be yeah and then we get caught up and we get shut down and we get silenced by the confusion and the chaos and the diseases, which mm-hmm. leads us so well into today's discussion, which is about sort of the root. We're talking about the heart. And so let's start there. What do you mean when you say the heart? What are we talking about? Well, in this discussion specifically, and one of the reasons I thought that was a noteworthy story to begin with is the heart consists we have three hearts or i like to think of the heart as having three expressions right we have the emotional heart we have the physical heart and we have the spiritual heart and how it interacts behaves and relates right the emotional heart with the physical heart with the spiritual heart it really has implications in our spirit, our soul, and our body. For example, in that little story, Caleb was able to articulate what was happening to him physically, the impact it was having on him emotionally, and he was able to access this spiritual component to it all that communicated something sacred Mm -hmm. about this little human and the need he had to be connected with me and with his sisters and his dad and everything. But I was that point of reference. And I'm his mom, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that unique relationship anyway. But it was the capacity to communicate 
this emotional, the spiritual, and the physical heart, I think, that impacted me so deeply. You frequently say the heart is the center of all things. Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. When you think about it, it's the heart that sustains our life. It determines the quality of our life. The spiritual heart, for example, through it, we can access and dispense energy, if you will, according to our will or the will of each individual, right? And we often refer it to this process. Let me just make it practical, right? So if, if I say that the spiritual heart accesses and dispenses energy according to the will of each individual, it often takes this expression. We use words like good or bad. That's light, light or dark, right? What's lawful or unlawful things. Um, we refer to angels or demons. We refer to good energy or bad energy, right? Mm. So the, that's the expression of this thing that exists in this unseen world that we access it. That's the spiritual reality that surrounds us. And it finds its expression in those words we use. The emotional heart is chooses which of those energies we access, right? or we're, we're going to use, or we're going to dispense. And I'll put this in context in a minute. And then we have the physical heart, and it uses that energy. Does that make sense a little bit? For this discussion, are we talking about all three? We're talking about all three okay. interchangeably. Okay. And rest, right, when we talk about rest, because rest is the reconstitution approach, I think, to healing. We give people a framework to understand the life of the heart, how it impacts the role of the relationships, and what role it plays in giving meaning to the pictures behind the stories of their lives. And the reason we do that is because you can't speak about the heart of a person or the heart of a condition or you, we can't address issues of the heart without saying hmm what do you mean by heart exactly the first question you asked me I mean that it is this thing if you will that has a spiritual facet from which it accesses and dispenses its energy according what to the will and the counsel of each person and again, we access it by determining, right, what is good or bad? What is, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Is this light or darkness, lawful or unlawful? For example, if we choose to tell a lie and we know we're lying, we're not accessing the light of something, we're accessing the darkness of something. That's going to have an impact spiritually on our heart. The emotional heart is what chooses which thing we choose. Are we going to choose to lie or tell the truth, right? And then the physical part is what uses that energy, right, that we use. And if we tell a lie, there's a physiological consequence to that lie. And we know because our central nervous system reveals that we're lying. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is how lie detector tests and mm -hmm. whatnot, right? They measure all of the dispersion of this kind of energy. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So the heart is really 
and I hate to get technical and this sounds kind of boring, but it's something very important to understand because I think that probably without overstating this, I've never met an addict that didn't have a broken heart and a shattered soul and never quite found a way to reconcile the conversation between those three facets of their heart. You already partly answered this. My next question, which is what affects the health of the heart in saying our own decisions can very much affect the health of our heart. But also one of the things you talk extensively with your patients, and I know because I was one, I am one, is we can inherit certain things and also what we experience through our life, especially in childhood, but Mm -hmm. through our entire life. Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that. Basically, what affects ultimately the health of our heart is thoughts and narratives that we have about ourselves. Um, Those thoughts and narratives we have about ourselves are always negotiated right in the mind. The mind and the thoughts that we have about ourselves and the world around us really determines the condition of our hearts. Mm -hmm. For example, where do we get these thoughts? Some of them are experiences. Some of them are shaped from our families of origin, right? But what people don't understand that much of the narrative is passed on generationally and it's really in their entire constitution. So the mind can be a complex thing and the health of the heart is really negotiated. We can't discuss the life of a person's heart without understanding their thought life Mm -hmm. and the stories they tell themselves and the things they believe about themselves. Mm So can you give us an example of how these narratives that we inherited generationally can play out in negative patterns in our lives? Yes. The worthiness that they picked up from, let's say, these the homes that we grow up in are a very small part of why that person has that view they have about themselves. It's relatively a small part. In fact, we know that six weeks after conception, memory experts tell us the brain begins to record memory. And the work of Dr. Homer in German New Medicine, he goes even further than that. He says the psychology of the parents becomes the biology of that child. So when people are experiencing various conflicting thoughts about their worth and their value, they have two competing stories, perhaps, that they're dealing with, or two different stories. And not one has the full narrative of what makes up who they are. For example, if the psychology of the parents one year prior to conceptions begins to really weave this tapestry into the constitution of this new baby, there are the millions, there are are, who knows, untold stories, right, passed on generationally, woven into the physiological tapestry of a person's constitution that are very real. And I have a few examples that I'll share with you about mm-hmm. that in a minute. And then there's, an, there's a story 
that the child or the person learns to tell themselves or they grow up believing the thoughts they grow up believing about themselves they have about themselves and their family around us around them and often they can be very conflicting I'd like to add another thing. Generational conflicts are passed on and are compounded by positive or negative personal experiences, I guess is what I'm really saying. Mm -hmm. And the most common stories I hear, I think this might be a good transition or a good explanation. Mm -hmm. The most common stories I hear are of not being loved, wanted, enough of not feeling significant, important, of feeling like there's no purpose in life, in spite of knowing otherwise, because they had parents that loved them very much and did everything they could to do what? To provide the best life possible, right? In those, all those scenarios that I just mentioned, we eventually get to the point that we discover that one or both parents was the product of a botched abortion, of date rape, of bad decisions, of just regret. And so confusion, chaos, and dis-ease was woven into the narrative of the parents or the grandparents often, and sometimes even the great-grandparents. Sometimes I find that this skips generations. And this isn't to blame our ancestors. It's just to gain a deeper understanding of the complexity of thoughts and ideas that end up shaping the life of our heart Mm -hmm. and impacting the role of the relationships that we have, which we're going to be discussing later. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Yes. And I think it would be really interesting if you could give an example of a negative narrative picked up in childhood that can then lead into negative patterns in someone's adult life. Well, the quick answer is hurt people hurt people. Avoiders raise avoiders. Vacillators are going to raise vacillators. I don't think these things are always done intentionally. I think it's it all happens so fast. And it's it happens because we don't have a working understanding of the relationship between that spirit, the soul, and the body. We don't have a working understanding of these constituents that make up a person and how central to governing those three constituents is the heart that is governed largely by the thoughts we have about ourselves and the world around us. So understanding this beautiful puzzle that makes us people, that we share as people, I think that's where the complexity lies. But in terms of hurt people hurting people, I would just say that unresolved emotional conflicts of one or both parents play out in the lives of the children. So one of the things that becomes instrumental is for we as human beings, as early as we can in life, is to understand the relationship between these parts of who we are and reconcile that conflict in order to, so that when we do have children, we're resolving, we're not passing on Mm -hmm. these things. It becomes the reverse, you know, healed people raise healed people. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's never too early and it's never too late. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you said that if we can reconcile these things, which is such a beautiful relay or segue into how can we, how can we begin to heal these broken narratives? 
Well, the first thing that came to mind when you had originally asked me that question is we have to realize that we're a spirit working through a soul, mind, heart, will, conscience, and feelings, right? So we're a spirit working through a soul. And today we're talking about the heart, that part of the soul that's central to that, in a body. So that's the first thing. So if we're a spirit, right, accessing our views about what's true and what's not, about God is or God isn't, and having the courage to answer those deep questions about what we really believe about God and who he is and what my role is in that created order, I think that becomes very important. Ironically enough, this morning I was having my quiet time and I was reading Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, which by the way is an amazing resource for people to just read every morning. I think he had great sensitivity in, he he shows great sensitivity in his writing about the relationship between the spirit, the soul, and the body of a man. Mm -hmm. But he talked about peeling back the veil and transformation happens where we're willing to pull down the veil right and we can see clearly into this creative order of these complex systems and how we experience them in our lives Mm -hmm. so examine that's one thing peel back the layers really ask yourself those hard questions about who am i what am i doing here what is what about god what is he? What does he say about me? So I'd say that's fundamentally one of the things I have to do sooner or later with every person I work with. Secondly is examine the foundations that shape their lives, meaning what's the story behind the story of the story of the story of our parents, 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 right? Because our stories did not just begin at home. So examining these foundations and exploring the truth of things in order to experience freedom. These are the foundations of rest that we often talk about, Leanne, the reconstitution approach to healing, because it's the body that keeps a score. And we have resources to use that as a starting point when perhaps mom isn't around or dad isn't around and we don't have any living grandparents or ancestors. That's okay. It's shocking what we can determine and what we can find out and discover from consulting our bodies. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of very specific resources that we're going to be talking about, I think, later on to to do that. I get so excited about those. And I would love if you could share a patient example of a patient that maybe you worked with who you really helped them identify what one of these underlying beliefs was Mm -hmm. these negative thought patterns that was playing out Mm -hmm. in negative patterns in their life well let me share one that i hear very often okay girl one specifically right now comes to mind beautiful 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 successful bright beautiful family by just can't shake this sense of i don't belong i'm not important nobody loves me really yet she knows reality dictates otherwise Mm -hmm. nevertheless right nevertheless she can't shake this sense of nothing i do is good enough and so on and so on and so on without getting into the specifics of all of that it's this sense of not only insignificance and i'm not enough and no matter what i do it's never going to be enough now keep in mind this person is successful beyond 
imagination. For someone her age. For someone her age can get into any college or anything. And the reason I'm bringing up this story again is because this is, whether I'm talking about this 17-year-old or a 50-year-old, I've heard this narrative over and over again. And upon working with her and trying to consult the body to see what is happening that is creating this conflict, I know that the body keeps the score, right? So it's the body that holds on to trauma in the subconscious mind. And there is absolutely nothing in her current life situation that we can access that would indicate this kind of distress. Well, when I energy tested her, I realized that she was not a firstborn. She's a second born. She thought she was the first born of seven children. She was not the first born of seven children. She was a number two. Interesting. Right. Okay, Okay. keep going. The body keeps the score. (laughs) The body will never lie. Consult the body. It will not lie to you. And we do a lot of energy testing. And a lot can be learned about that. There's a lot of resources online. And as I cons, the point is, that there was another relationship and there was another child in the family system that was a secret. And the mother had had an affair and nobody knew about it, or so everyone thought. But her body's carrying that secret. Oh my gosh. And so there was all kinds of discourse between the mom and the dad, and she was conceived in the context of great conflict. Wow. And during that time of conception, right, think about it, their psychology became her biology. So she's carrying this narrative of really not being wanted and feeling like an accident. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the parents reconciled, and to their credit, they have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful relationship now, and the years have passed, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But here's here's the situation. Here's the problem. Her body has the truth of what was transpiring during that season. So once we uncovered all that, what happened? Spontaneous remission. Wow. So now did she have some kind of diagnosable illness? And I know you don't like diagnoses. I don't because there were multiple things said about her. By the way, she was 27. I think I said 17. She was 27 years old. Many many things her entire life she'd had issues physical issues Mm -hmm. that made no sense to anyone they had significant resources they have the means to do anything they want get whatever they need she's had an amazing life gone to the best schools participated in wonderful activities For all intended purposes, her entire life was a success. Mm-hmm. But she but her couldn't body shake. She couldn't shake, shake that this, feeling. Right. And as we peeled back the layers of some things, boom. Yeah. And that's a really powerful example because so many of us do have trauma from our own present life that really does create these negative thoughts, these negative patterns. Mm-hmm. But that is a really clear, specific example of someone who during conception their body picked up 
trauma. Well, totally, because the parents were in trauma. Yeah. Right. And when you think and of then what it makes a child, on. right? The feelings that she was having were, I'm not worthy. Nothing I do is ever enough. And I'm wondering, it, her mother had an affair. It sounds like the father knew about it. Maybe those were the father's feelings during that time. I'm not well, the worthy. the father had had an affair too. Oh, the They'd father. Both. Okay. So maybe both parents were dealing right. with those feelings and those were just passed on so to her. So the confusion and the chaos and the dis-ease and the betrayal and the unworthiness, both parents, we all do foolish things. We all carry a lot of shame and regret. So both parents were in that state and she was conceived in that state. Mm -hmm. And the consequence of that is a lot of confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in what? In her entire constitution, in her central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't know what's happening to her largely. So what do they want to do? Put her on antidepressants, give her anti-anxiety medication. Well, that they sometimes those things have a place temporarily but not long term as we began to unpack and reveal some things it was a beautiful thing because all of a sudden it changed her health mm -hmm. it was just everything was misaligned and as soon as you right. found those missing pieces mm -hmm. everything made sense and she was able to reconcile yes lies are boulders they're like boulders in our soul. Mm. They're like tumbleweed. They are an obstruction to the energy I talked about before from the spiritual world mm -hmm. that our will chooses to access or not, right? Mm -hmm. It depends. Our will chooses what kind of energy it's going to access, right? But if we access things that are dark, that are not life-giving, that are bad, however you want to refer to them as. We think they have no consequence except to the person making those decisions, and that is a lie. That is not true. The body keeps the score. Intuitively, anything that hinders the life of the heart and the soul and the flow of that energy to that soul, to that heart, mm -hmm. for it to negotiate adequately and stuff, anything that hinders that, right? is going to have consequences in a person's body. And I just want to remind us, we're not talking about this at the, at the moment, but the will is the thing that flips the switch. The will of a man ultimately has all the power to negotiate the thought life and the condition of the heart. And I think that's a good note to finish on because none of us should feel victims like a victim of circumstances. The exact opposite is true. We have all the power and the authority to understand the complexities of the life of our hearts, the role of the relationships that we have, the meaning of the pictures behind the stories of our life, and those narratives story and I know we're going to break that down in future episodes but mm -hmm. I hope that was helpful yes yes and I'm so excited because we will be ending each episode with sort of a tangible takeaway or an action step for you as the listeners to take what you're listening to and apply it to your life in some way so can you share what this week's action item is the word that's always captivated me when it comes to issues of the heart are it is imperative that we pause and wonder not about ourselves but about another person and a great place to start is our mom our dad 
our grandparents, our siblings, our cousins, anything or anybody connected to that, even if you haven't spoken to them in years or you see them every day, sit down, take 10, 15, 20 minutes today and make a list of people that you'd love to have an honest conversation with, preferably within your family, and ask yourself, what have I ever wondered about this person? What do I profoundly need, want, desire to understand about them? And approach them with an open heart and an open mind, and be careful that you don't approach those people with expectations or with accusations accusations or anything try to put yourself aside and truly wonder because they hold especially your mother your father your grandparents they really hold the secrets the mysteries of your life Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that's such a beautiful place to close out. So thank you, Virginia. Thank you, all the listeners for tuning in. Thank you. And we will tune in with all of you next week. It's fun talking to you about all this. 